Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with writer and author Brad Dude. From his base in New Orleans, he gets into stories from his 40-plus years of leadership, management, and consulting in 30-plus countries and territories. He has taught leadership courses for NASA and Naval Surface Warfare Center and served as a Peace Corps volunteer, training to Pacific Island countries. He has also authored or co-authored six books on leadership and just completed a novel and screenplay called Finding Eden that describes the challenges of migrants searching for a safe homeland. He's got a great story. Enjoy. Thank you so much for taking a minute out today. I appreciate it. Sure. Yeah. And and I would begin our conversation with what we've all lived through for the last three and a half years, which was a global pandemic. How did you get through it and how did it subsequently change you? Well, um, it changed uh, my professional life quite a bit because I was doing a lot of uh, stand-up training, uh, leadership and management training for a variety of clients, uh, but mostly of late was uh, NASA up at uh, in the D.C. area. And, of course, when COVID came out, all the live training went away yeah. uh, in, in person. And so I had tons of time on my hands. And that allowed me to start working on my novel. So I finished my novel during the, the COVID time. Yeah. And uh, so that's kind of how it changed me from getting, you know, doing going to work and uh, having a uh, having a, a bunch of students and, and uh, professionals in my classrooms to uh, working on my own, finishing up my uh, my novel. So r right now, in this current day in 2024, if you were in front of a bunch of third graders at a career day, and one of the kids looked up and said, hey, what do you do for a living? How would you answer that child? Yeah, I guess I would say um, I do a, a variety of things. Uh, but mostly right now, I'm doing writing, uh, writing uh, uh, screenplays, as well as uh, fiction uh, novels. Okay. So what did you want to be in the third grade? What was your dream? Oh, I think to be a Laker. Okay. There you go. <laughs> I, grew up in, I grew up in Southern California. Okay. So, uh, you know, be a Laker or a Dodger uh, or a Ram. That yeah. was my dream then. You know, I listened to that 30 for 30 about that owner of the Clippers that fell apart and got yeah. caught on tape and all of that. And they were talking about Jerry West and the beginnings of the Lakers and how all of that dynasty began. And it was fascinating, you know, just Jerry West was my, uh, my hero. He was, yeah. he was the guy on the playgrounds that playing basketball, pickup basketball that I always pretended I was. So, from what I understand, the NBA logo is based off of him. I think it's his. That's position. right. Okay, that's, that's what right. I thought. Yeah, the that's original cool. one, right? That's quite a legacy to have. Oh boy, yeah. Sure. I mean, it's better that than be to be named Tommy John to be forever remembered for his surgery. <laughs> True, <laughs> true. Also a former Dodger, but uh, yeah. yeah, you're right. You're right. You're right. That's, that's right. I was actually going through some old cards recently. I used to collect them when I was a kid, and I came across the Tommy John, and I just laughed at it. And I, you know, I feel bad for the guy, but it's like every time you hear that, like I have kids, and I have to explain to them, you know, what's why is it Tommy John? It's like he was the pitcher. He was the first one that got it. Well, it may feel negative, but when you think about it, how many arms did, has he saved by that uh, surgery? Oh, he was the guinea pig. 100%. So uh, actually, I hope he's feeling positive about that. Yeah, absolutely. I guess it's better than the Mendoza line. That is, that's that's an ugly term. Um, uh, that's like to, a batting average that you don't want. Like there's a batting average that you don't quite get over. Uh, 
and it was oh, yeah. a player Mendoza, and he, he wasn't good. So, yeah, yeah that's that would be bad. That yeah, that be would bad. be bad for sure. <laughs> so, you it sounds like you've had an interesting path. Talk to me a little bit about growing up in LA and how you got into training and 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 eventually got into writing. Well, um, yeah, I grew up in Southern Cal, and then uh, went to junior college there, and in. Uh, I lived in uh, kind of in the shadow of Disneyland in the Anaheim Buena Park area, and I wanted to get away. And so uh, uh, after uh, after junior college, I went. I had relatives in uh, Illinois, so I went to school at Northern Illinois University, and uh, graduated from there. And uh, during that time, um, I guess I always had a hankering for travel, and so I uh, applied to Peace Corps, and so I uh, was accepted. And, uh, of course, uh, we joke about it, uh, Peace Corps people. I put down, I wanted to go to Africa, and, of course, they sent me to the Pacific. Yeah. So, just the opposite. Right? <laughs> That's right. I so, hear that uh, all the time. You yeah. never get sent to where you want to go. Like, if you want to no. go to Costa Rica and sunbathe, you're not going. You are able not to go. I mean, it's a volunteer organization. But yeah. then it was great. Um, plus there was the shadow of Vietnam War was going on. So many people thought we were just draft dodgers, but, uh, I had to go through two draft physicals before I could, uh, actually go overseas. And we always had the, it was, they always had the possibility of pulling us out to, to go to, uh, to Vietnam. Luckily that didn't happen for me. So, uh, yeah, I, uh, I was lucky. Uh, I was a volunteer in the Marshall Islands. Kind of on a remote outer island uh, near Bikini and Anahuitac, where atomic testing went on in the fifties, uh, and um, so I was a teacher, uh, English teacher. I was a journalism major in uh, in uh, college, so I always kind of was trying to write and things like that. Yeah. But um, so uh, I was a volunteer. It's a two-year assignment. I stayed for an extra year, so I was a volunteer for three years. And during the summer, we would come into the main island. Uh, and the marshals have like 29 islands, and so you're kind of far remote. And uh, the ships would only at that time would only come in every about three months. So we'd get mail and things like that. So it was a pretty remote um, situation. But I, I was lucky. I got to travel all over the marshals uh, doing teacher training. In the summer, new volunteers would come in, and so I was picked to uh, be part of their training. So that got me into the training world. And I did, uh, after my Peace Corps time, I stayed out in the Pacific and did training, mostly for Peace Corps, uh, and then got to go to Oman, the Middle East, and uh, do training there, and then uh, came back uh, and uh, eventually uh, came back to the D.C. area. That's where all the, the jobs, international training jobs were. Yeah. Uh, got hired by Westinghouse, so did training for Westinghouse, project management in the Middle, in the Middle East, Jordan, Gaza, Israel. And um, so that kind of started my career doing international training. So I was lucky to go to over 30 some countries uh, throughout the uh, my, my career and uh, wanted to stay more. I was married then and had a son and wanted to stay closer to home. So um, um, I, I got to do that. And then we started to do training for government agencies like Naval Surface Warfare Center and then eventually NASA. So that's a Sorry to go on so long, but that's no, no, no. I appreciate how it. I got there, and yeah. uh, I think during my all these travels around the world, it just showed me kind of cool places, cool, uh, cool characters, and yeah. that got me into writing. And um, 
mostly writing about leadership first, because that's what I was doing out there, teaching leadership and management kinds of things to a variety of folks at different levels all over the world. And um, that got me into writing. So I started to do more and more writing. And then a, a, a former student of mine at the with Navy said, hey, why don't we do a book together? And that started my, my first book, really, of uh, what makes you tick and what ticks you off. And yeah. uh, that got us into uh, more and more writings. So now I'm up to, uh, I think I have six books on leadership and management on Amazon and my new novel, uh, Finding Eden. That's wonderful. It's almost like you're a spy out in the open with all of the places that you've been to and all of that. That's pretty cool. I was lucky. Uh, luckily, not dangerous. Right. Not a spy. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But a James Bond itinerary, nonetheless. So that's Yeah, cool. I was really lucky. Really lucky to, uh, to be paid to go to these places. No question. You know, I haven't traveled that extensively, but I've been around enough. Um, I actually was in a water taxi in Venice, Italy on the morning of 9-11-01. And, um, you know, I've, I've been over and I've seen some wonderful things. But I'm curious, in all of your travels, what was one of the most surprisingly beautiful places that you saw that just was magical and, and you didn't expect it? Well, Venice was certainly one of them uh, for me as well. But probably the most exotic, the one that made me after traveling all over kind of stop and watch was a uh, Kathmandu in Nepal. Yeah. Um, just so different. And, uh, you know, um, something I, I had not been exposed to. I was doing some work in India and then took a couple, took a week to go up to, uh, to Nepal. Uh, that was an interesting uh, country. Uh, I thought. I thought I saw some pretty antiquitous things when I was in Europe, but to go to Nepal, I think when you come back to the United States, I don't know if you felt like this, but you realize how young we are. Mm, yeah. You know, I mean, on the scale of things, when you see the structures that are centuries old and the government and everything that they deal with has been around for so much longer. I think uh, I have found that to be very true, especially doing international training when you're trying to get folks kind of up to date with kind of the, you know, current leadership practices or, or strategies, but they're dealing with, and they're working in systems that have not been, you know, working too great for many, many, many years. Yeah. And it's really hard for them to take a risk to kind of change behaviors. Yeah. So that's always a, uh, that was always a challenge in my uh, training courses. Yeah. So who's been a hero for you in your life? Oh, outside of uh, Jerry West when I was little. Yeah. Um, uh, I would, it's hard to say. I've had uh, uh, several. Uh, I've had a couple of great mentors uh, who work for Westinghouse and then a, a fellow trainer of mine who um, was came out when I was uh, like in the early 70s to do a training program with me. And uh, we became lifelong friends. And uh, so it's been, you know, a couple of key people as opposed to some famous person who, you know, you think of like, like for me, Jerry West, that you yeah. never met, but you kind of think they inspire you. But uh, I've really been lucky to have people I've actually worked with that have been inspirations uh, uh, for me. So you may have already answered this question, but if you can meet one person alive on the planet right now and spend some time with them, who would it be? Oh, uh, interesting question. You know, I've uh, I've always uh, been kind of in awe of 
how uh, Paul McCartney, for example, yeah, is so down to earth. Yeah, being a, a you know, a, oh, an yeah. idol for so long for so many of us. Um, um, it'd be kind of cool to sit and, and chat with somebody like that yeah. uh, for a while. I don't know who you think. Yeah, I, I agree. I, and I've actually, it's weird. I've had some vivid dreams like that I've met him and it's very weird. And I remember what kind of effect that anthology series ABC put out in the nineties had on me, you know, that was told from their perspective. And I remember at one point when, when the boys came to America, they really wanted to meet Bob Dylan. And of course, once they met Bob, they all started smoking and sort of forgetting where they were at, and what they were doing. But at one point during the interview on that series, Paul said that while he was talking to Bob, he wrote down the meaning of life in a pocket and put it in. And the next morning, he couldn't find it anywhere. And I've always wondered how cool that would be to find that slip of paper. Yeah, really. Paul McCartney writing down the meaning of life after meeting yeah. Bob Dylan on the first trip to America. Yeah, uh, kind of amazing. That really would amazing. be pretty cool. I, I did catch a... Uh, there was a band that came through town this summer called Rain, and they cover the whole Beatles thing. Have you heard of these guys? I, I saw them. Uh, my son and I went on uh, the only uh, cru uh, cruise we were on. Well, uh, it would probably be, uh, I don't know, 2002 or something like that. And they played uh, on the ship. Yeah. And I thought, wow, they, they're better than I expected to be. It's and now crazy. I think they've continued on uh, really good. Really yeah. good. It was yeah. really crazy to see all of the slices. They were playing the old like commercial clips from yeah. the day, just the way they choreographed it and to see them and like all the Sergeant Peppers get up and, and to see that happen in front of you, the, the changes they made. And I think the most amazing thing in our cancel culture, happy world that we live in now, those guys were just, they were fine. They yeah. they were just a bunch of guys from Liverpool that made good music. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen a couple of Ringo interviews lately, and that's again so down to earth. Yeah, you know, kind of amazing what they yeah. went through and uh, how they are viewed by virtually everyone. Yeah. You know, and, uh, so down to earth. It's just kind of amazing. Yeah. So I got a Trivial Pursuit question at one point. It said, "What of the Beatles has sold the most in like in their solo career?" And it's Ringo, like no kidding. Yeah, that's a surprise. Like, you would just you would just assume it would have to be Paul with wings, yeah. and all of those yeah. things that he did. But yeah. yeah, that's that's it's a wild thing. So, are you a Dodgers fan, real quick? Yes, I am. Okay, so I I saw their lineup the other day. They got that new guy from Seattle. It's unbelievable. I just I laughed. I was like, there's no way. I mean, they already had a lineup that was World Series worthy last year. And then you throw in Otani and all these other guys. It's crazy. Well, we blew that last year after winning 100 games. But um, they're still short, uh, I think, a closer. Uh, so uh, it, it, I get no sympathy from my non-Dodger fans yeah. parties with the wealth of folks that they have. But... Um, yeah, it looks really good. Um, but the new Japanese pitcher, you know, Dodgers, I don't know, the Dodger pitchers historically are very fragile and they all yeah. get hurt uh, through the year, you know, yeah. from Kirk up to all the rest. But, uh, and the, the new new Japanese guy should be great, but he's haven't pitched one inning in the major leagues yet. So we shall see. But we'll uh, find out. I feel, I feel good about it so far. 
Yeah. yeah. I saw a stat the other day that the Dodgers spent in the offseason as much money as the other 25 teams combined. <laughs> I know. So, you know, know, we'll see. You know, you never know. We'll, we'll see. We, we They had it on paper last year, too, but didn't do it. Yeah. So you never know. Yeah. Yeah. You got to play the game. So, uh, so we shall see, but I'm looking forward to it. That's something to be said about chemistry for sure. Um, So at the end of the day, you're obviously highly motivated. What is your motivation every day? What gets you out of bed? What gets you to write and to help others and to be you, to evolve as you? Uh, Interesting uh, question. I'm, I'm, I can't exactly put a, a, a finger on it. I think, um, I think part of it was growing up having a father who was working all the time and mother who also worked. So I think that working expectation was always there with me. And um, certainly my Peace Corps experience where you, you know, I would teach, uh, you know, on a little island with, uh, you know, 800 people on my island my first year. It's not full time. So you have to do other things besides your primary job. And so that I think has gone on as I've gotten older and had more clients. I think in the training business, there was always something to do. So I think I've been always inspired that I've got to meet the the needs of my, my participants. You know, these are, you know, for the most part, very professional folks, scientists, especially NASA scientists and engineers. And um, you got to be ready. You got to be able to and be prepared. So, in addition to delivering the training or the service in my consulting practice, you have to be ready and and keep up with what's going on. Um, and now, into my writing, there's so much research that goes into. I, it was harder for me to write the novel Finding Eden than it was doing a lot of my leadership books because. I had a lot of experience with leadership, not so much on, you know, uh, it's all about migrants um, run into the Mediterranean on an overcrowded boat rescue ship trying to find a safe passage. So a lot of research I had to do to go into that. So there's always something that needed to be done. So I think that mentality has stick, stuck with me as I've gotten uh, older. Yeah. You know, I've I've always been an avid reader. One of the first books I read was Grapes of Wrath by Steinbeck. And I'm revisiting him now. And I just can't believe the way the economy of words that he would get to. He would get right to the jugular really, really quick. He would build suspense in a way that was just so organic, you know. Um, what was oh, the yeah. first book? What was the first book for you when you were growing up that really resonated even to Ooh. this day that you loved? Ooh. Um, I had, I did in our, I remember in, in um, elementary school, we had a lot of reading to do and on the, on the bulletin board, we each had our name on a little paper rocket. And as we would do a book report, it would zoom up and I always wanted to be at the top. So there were tons of them, but I think, um, you know, I think, like a treasure island or something like that. It was one of the classic, you know, books was one of the first ones that stuck in my mind. Yeah. Um, and I didn't kind of 
uh, pattern myself after a, a, an author, if any. I, uh, growing up, I liked Hemingway. Very short and sweet. Yeah. Uh, brevity was his thing. And I kind of liked that. I think that stuck a little bit with me. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I'm, I'm reading um, more and more. But and as I read, I'm trying not to be influenced too much. Yeah. You know, you want your own voice there. Yeah. Uh, and so when I was writing my novel, I tried not to read anything else um, and doing the research. You'd read articles, things like that, to help give you give me information about, you know, what a character might, you know, do or say given the situation they were in. But I tried not to be too influenced. Yeah, it's hard to separate that yoke from from the egg too, because we're all standing on the shoulders of giants. We're also sure. influenced by what we see around us. You no know. Question. No um, question. So of all of the things that you've done, all the places you've been, all of the miles you've traveled, what are you the proudest of? Oh, I think I'm most uh, proud of um, my time in the Peace Corps, training local staff to kind of take over our, um, which were uh, formerly American positions. Uh, I don't know if you know, the Central Pacific of Micronesia, you know, at that time, it was a trust territory of the United States. There were six island groups, each with their own language and kind of culture, although there were a lot of similarities. To, to put it in perspective, if you imagine the Pacific like the United States, so I was living in Saipan, which would be like uh, Seattle, and we had island and we had Peace Corps volunteers serving like in Southern California and in Arizona and in Texas and in Maine and in Florida. So it was like 2000 miles across. And so I would be on the plane all the time traveling to each of those. And we had local, we had directors of each of those groups. And when I first uh, was a volunteer there, they were all American positions. And I was involved with the training of local uh, staff to take over those jobs. I really felt proud that uh, we could do that and kind of work ourselves out of a job. Yeah. You know, I every time I think about the Peace Corps, I think about how many things JFK did. Like that mm. was his vision. And there's so many things that he did that were along those lines that really did spread so much good throughout the world. Oh, I think so. Um, you know, it's had its up and down with the with the public, I think, and and support. But um, it's back now and uh, into new countries like in Vietnam. Can you imagine? When yeah. I was volunteer, we were fighting in Vietnam, and now we have Peace Corps going to Vietnam. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a positive step, I think, you know, yeah. uh, in terms of our history. So. And it was amazing how many how many skirmishes the CIA wanted him to get into, like how the Bay of Pigs could have got out of control. And that could have been all out with Russia very fast. You know, okay. and at that time, we're just sending telegraphs and we have to wait. You know, it's just it, it's amazing um, just what we survived at that point, because there was such a Cold War tendency that was in oh, yeah. the air, you know. Yeah. And I think there was a lot of uh, people that thought Peace Corps were kind of spies, CIA linked. And um, that obviously was not true. But there was a skepticism and you couldn't blame come some of these countries for being skeptical. Yeah. Uh, but um Luckily, where I was, that was never the situation. In fact, during my time out there, those islands themselves were becoming more independent and became independent with a unique relationship with compacts of a free association with the United States. 
And if anything, I had to keep our volunteers out of politics uh, there um, because, you know, locals were giving out T-shirts and I saw some of our volunteers wearing shirts, you know, vote for whoever. And it was like, no, 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 take that off, take yeah. that off. We could be seen as, you know, pro one side or the other. We're, we're guests yeah. in these countries, you yeah. know, and we we can't piss off half the uh, half the population, you know. Absolutely. So uh, it was fun. It was a challenge during yeah. those years, but very uh, very satisfying too. Absolutely. So at the end of the day, Brad, everyone has a perception of you: family, friends, your readers, everyone that you know. But you run the show. What's your perception of you? Who do you think you are? Oh, I think I'm a um, um, a person who's got a great sense of humor. That's uh, dedicated to kind of trying different things, uh, not taking life too seriously, yeah. seeing the fun uh, in life, but uh, trying to make a contribution uh, wherever I can uh, while having fun, you know, uh, along the way. Um, I've got a, a, a website that uh, has, in addition to all, all my books on there, I just put together a, a little quiz for, for folks to take that gets into kind of looking at their leadership. I called it... Um, which of the four leadership temperaments are killing your career? And so it's a fun thing that uh, people can take and get some feedback on um, without ta having to talk to me or anybody else, just on their own. Yeah. But to me, it's a resource people can uh, can use to, uh, to learn more about themselves. So I think for me, that's another thing I'm proud of, to make a contribution to folks without cost, uh, without charge them anything without having to take up their time just being able to, like a book it's out there if you want to of course my book you gotta buy it but yeah. not my quiz huh yeah so uh you know that's that's kind of like how i feel uh, my contribution uh, to society so where is that website that's the good business i want to get to if anyone wants your books or any of sure it's a uh, www.braddude.com uh very easy um and it's got uh you know, like I said, it's got my books. It's got some of the places I've been and uh, uh, lists uh, a variety of uh, ways of contacting me from and different kinds of things and got and got the quiz on it uh, as well. So that's www.braddude.com. So if you broke down my yearly words, dude would be top up on my list. How does one get the last name, dude? Yeah, got to just be born into it. Um <laughs> Everybody thinks it's a pseudonym, you know, for my writing, but it's actually not. Uh, it's a German name, but, you know, there aren't many of us out there. But yeah, uh, yeah. But, I, uh, I had to take a double take. When I looked down, I was like, is that is that what I think it is? So, yeah, I love it. I absolutely love it. My son is a policeman, so he says that's officer dude to you. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Brad, this has been great, man. Thank you so much for your time today. Best of luck. Have a great 2024. Thanks, Joe. You too. I really appreciate the time. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe. Our esteemed theme music was composed and produced by the great E.E. E. Pointer of Kansas City's River Cow Orchestra. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time. Yeah.